You may know Kara Jamborski as having been the voice of the Comixology podcast, editing, producing, interviewing, you name it, she pretty much did everything. She also did a ton of boring technical stuff behind the scenes to make sure comic books actually came out on time. Currently, you can hear her as a contributor on the I Read Comic Books podcast, and she's kind of a big deal on Medium, writing recaps for Riverdale. After some back and forth, we settled on talking about her relationship with Darth Vader. When, when in your life did you know that Darth Vader was the one? for you wow uh probably that first iconic moment when he sweeps into the tantive four to find princess leia in star wars the new hope i mean <laughs> the the like w- pristine white hallway starting yeah. to fill with smoke the rebels in their neutral colors looking in fear tinged anticipation mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden he sweeps in with that cape billowing in the non-existent wind. Iconic. <laughs> and that was it. The history, it was just over for you. Everything was set in motion. Your entire, the rest of your life was set in motion. I, it's just that the more I learn about Vader, the more I'm like, I don't know what it is. I think it's because he's just such an interesting, twisted character. Like, I'm normally not a person who's like, oh my god, I love bad boys. Like, I appreciate Loki, I appreciate Kylo Ren, but I feel like a lot of people are just like, oh my god, Loki, oh my god, Kylo Ren, and I'm more just like, let's talk about Darth Vader. I don't want to get like, I don't want to get like sexual about it. I just want to like talk about him as a character. (laughs) I think that's like the ultimate conversation precursor. I don't want to get sexual about this, but let's talk about Darth Vader. (laughs) Well, it's like, okay, it's like this. I'm not attracted to him, but I am interested in him as a character, even though, as you constantly remind me, he's a child murderer. <laughs> Which I know. It's funny because when you first told me what the moment was, in, my, in the back of my head, the evil version of me was going to be like, are you sure it wasn't when he murdered those kids, Kara? <laughs> so Vader's Quest, uh, I had no idea this comic existed until like this year. And I, f- I feel like the the old Star Wars comics are just like a blur to me. I don't know if they are for you, but I don't think I've ever really read any of the old, old, like before Marvel got the license back. Oh, I, um, when I was in middle school, I think, or maybe even earlier, because I was a pretty devoted library goer, um, and they had some copies of the Star Wars Tales graphic novels. Mm-hmm which were it was a series that i think that i guess dark horse was publishing where it was just a bunch of one shots so just single uh issues telling individual stories from the star wars extended universe so that was kind of my exposure to the extended universe and i extru- like very vividly remember the stories from the first volume cuz i must have read it like a 100 times so that's how i knew about like Mara Jade and Vader hunting down some Jedi who were still existing, like Yoda, and the whole uh, R4 
theory where the art like the red astromech droid in a new hope who has a bad motivator is actually a jedi droid who like (laughs) sees the future and realizes that r2d2 has to go with luke skywalker and so an actual story yes and he disables himself so that the force can be balanced and luke can hook up with these droids that he needs to be with my god right it was a different time now I know why people are so angry that the extended universe is like null and void, so to speak. Yeah, it's it's definitely different uh, seeing what um, Disney is doing with Star Wars now that they've decided that if it's not a movie or the Clone Wars TV series, it wasn't canon and just mm-hmm. kind of starting fresh. So in Vader's Quest, which you suggested that we read, um, we kind of open meeting this other pilot who is red who was red five before luke became red five and blew up the death star and he's all like bitter and grumpy about it because he was stuck in the med bay with measles and that like really threw me for a minute because i was like wait no in rogue one it's like red five dies trying to get the plans in the first place and then luke became red five and it was like oh wait like (laughs) (laughs) this is before that okay all right different continuities alternate universe it's all good so different yeah like it's it's a more color i don't know how to describe it's like a more colorful universe there's almost like the designs because there's at one point in the story where you see like the council of the rebellion they're just kind of wearing like plain old cloaks it almost looks like they're wearing dress shirts like united states dress shirts (laughs) it's cracking me up (laughs) But the so the Vader's quest is built around uh, the first meeting of Luke and Darth after A New Hope because he's trying to track down who the pilot is. And I actually really loved Vader's quest and how Darth Vader finds out the pilot's name and freaks out and tries to kill anyone else that heard about who his name is, what his name is. Yeah, I had actually never read this comic, so I was excited that you suggested it and just feed into my love for Vader. (laughs) Yeah. Which I am judged by constantly by the children in the school that I work at because they realized that a lot of my stuff has Vader's face on it and they're just like, (laughs) why do you like Darth Vader? And I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, he's he's Star Wars. Star Wars is great. It's like an iconic star. They're like, he's a bad guy. And I cannot argue with that. Like, you cannot argue with a seven-year-old who's like, why are you valuing the contributions of an evil person? And I'm just like, I I don't have the time to answer you. But now I, like, I don't know how to feel about this. (laughs) So then you just, like, scurry away before it gets any deeper in conversation. It's it's exactly what happens. Because, like, I will have philosophical conversations with kids like as long as the day is but i don't quite feel like the nuance of why i appreciate darth vader is something that a seven-year-old will grasp or appreciate no but ultimately you (laughs) probably are the coolest person in the school coolest adult i would think (laughs) by wearing star wars related clothing i try (laughs) (laughs) so humble (laughs) so this is this was your first reading of the book as well yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, like you said, it was definitely a, a more colorful take of Star Wars than maybe what the average movie goer is used to. Uh, Luke 
ends up on a rescue the princess mission again mm-hmm. and he was just but i like i appreciate that he made a joke about it. he was just like wow i've seen more holographic princesses who need saving in the last month than i had in my whole life previously and they're like what <laughs> it's like don't worry about it i liked that on his his rescue mission for this princess he was paired up with basically a journalism droid because yeah. you don't really hear about news in the star wars universe like ever Mm -hmm. so yeah it's all like secret communiques pretty much yeah so it was interesting to see like here's a droid whose function is to record and broadcast like news updates and why didn't they do more with that that was probably the coolest concept from this book yeah yeah i mean i feel like they could have built a whole limited series just on news droids Totally. And their desire to get the news out and their struggle. <laughs> it's like <laughs> this, Gotham Central this for Star Wars. This droid was struggling. He was, like, Luke was trying to use him to escape. He's like, this is against my directive. And then like the <laughs> king, who was acting shady, like, sec- like hid weapons on the droid without its knowledge and then actively like acti- remotely activated them. And the droid freaked out. He's like, this is not in my programming. <laughs> How about that? His last broadcast of that King too, where I think it was where Darth Vader and his team came after him. And it was like, he had just made the final transmission. I thought that was like one of the deepest moments of the book, like the transmission, the news droid, like realizing it's about to meet its fate. That was really intense. It was too intense. Maybe. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that was the moment where I was just like, Oh, like this is good. Like that's right. (laughs) Yeah. But the part I started like, feeling myself physically getting emotional and starting to maybe tear up a little bit is when our uh, former Red 5 pilot who's gone and gotten himself in trouble because he's just so grumpy about Luke and Luke kind of taking all the glory. Um, and he's all like bitter and cynical about the rebellion and ends up getting this like wannabe rebel kid killed essentially through his at like apathy and cynicism and then feels like horribly guilty about it decides to help save this planet by essentially going on a suicide mission to take out the star destroyer that vader rolled in on and when that happened like i was just like what no (laughs) and that's the moment where i was just like oh my god well plus two because when he goes on that suicide mission to the reader it just seems like he bailed again and even Luke is like, where's he going? Like you're because uh, Darth like shows up and he's like, all right, I'm out of here. And he jets away. And then you realize that he's on like a suicide mission. It's just so powerful because he realizes that it doesn't matter what other people think of him as long as he knows he's doing the right thing. Uh, hilarious that he got measles in space, <laughs> space in whatever universe we're in. <laughs> space measles. Space measles. <laughs> what are the chances? Also, what are the chances to... When um, the book opens up, they're interrogating, torturing a pilot who had come home to celebrate the end of the Death Star, but that he gets intercepted by these bounty hunters and, into revealing the name of the pilot. That part annoyed me because he's like, yeah, I wanted to come back and tell my family that the Death Star was destroyed and like Vader was dead and like the war was over. And I just got so pissed because I get pissed whenever stuff like that happens in real life, too. Because it's never, like, one single thing that's going to end a conflict that's spanning more than, like, a couple people. So, mm-hmm. when that happened, I was like, you moron. Like, the Death Star may be destroyed, but that was one weapon. 
with yeah. a small contingent of the Empire's forces. They are spread across an entire galaxy, which is how the First Order was able to come to being in like this new canon. So it's like, you know, the, just fight, one fight. the fight just doesn't stop. It will never <laughs> stop. So, Which is also a depressing thought for anyone fighting in the Rebellion. Yeah, well... That's life. <laughs> That's life in the Rebel Alliance. It will never end. Oh, you know, in the, in the new movies, uh, what was it? In Force Awakens, Maz Kanata is just like the fight, the only fight, like good versus evil, light versus dark. She's And she goes through like all the names that this fight has had. And like, she's not wrong. Like the fight never stops. It just takes different forms. I loved that these, so he eventually gives up the name and they bring the voice recording to Darth Vader. And I was just tickled that essentially the name was on a cassette recorder. And they just played it for, for Vader. Wait, just rewind a little further. I know. I mean, this wasn't even like in the 80s this comic was written. It was 1999. Like they could have had some kind of like hollow like tablet, you know, some kind of futuristic recording technology. It was a tape recorder. Listen, if you are an artist on a deadline, maybe you just had a tape recorder (laughs) lying around that you'd use as a model. Like you don't have time to make everything new. I know. And and, uh, on top of that, it was Dave Gibbons you know, known for Watchmen, who was the artist on this book. And so I feel like, I, I don't know, I feel like we know a lot about comics, but I feel like I hadn't heard of this book, but I feel like we should know about it since Dave Gibbons was even the artist on it. Or maybe it just gets swept under because of the, um, you know, the old canon versus the new canon. I think it was just, there, was, there, there are a lot of Star Wars comics. And it's, since comics are so niche as a medium. Like, even if you're a Star Wars fan, if you're not going out of your way to look for Star Wars comics, you're just not going to know about them. Mm-hmm. So if they weren't advertised or anything, like, like I feel like now that Disney has the license, they do a lot more with the comic promotion just because they have more bandwidth and real estate to do that. Like, if you go to a Disney theme park, for example, and you go into an area where they're selling Star Wars things, like you will see Star Wars comics for sale because oh, yeah. they're just like, here are all our Star Wars things. Please give us all of your money in return. <laughs> but Dark Horse never really had a platform like that to promote their books. Hmm. So it was really like if you weren't going to a comic shop or if you didn't have a library or bookstore who chose to have the graphic novel versions, you were just unaware of these things. Yeah. About at the end when um, the one surviving bounty hunter, I think her name was Mala Mala, she meets up with Palpatine, the Emperor, and reveals the name of the pilot as Skywalker. And I, I can't remember, does she, so like Palpatine's reaction is like, oh, I just got the dirtiest secret in the galaxy that uh, Darth Vader's name is Skywalker. I was like, at the time, no. so I was like, how? No, doesn't he doesn't he, he reveal no he i think i read that as he knows who anakin skywalker is but he found out the pilot's name was skywalker because earlier mm. vader was hiding the pilot's name and so now palpatine knows that vader's hiding something from him but instead of confronting him about it he just want to wants to kind of tease it out because that's who palpatine is as a person creep yeah. I, I read it as like i don't know what made me think of this because he was reading it as I'll address Vader by his real name. Like he, he found out the connection between the two. And then after I was reading, I was like, how does Palpatine not know 
Vader as a Skywalker. He knows, he knows, but he was okay. planning on greeting Vader as Skywalker I to see. like do a little like he tip knows his, this is tip all his hand. this no, like not even that, but just like all of this is fresh in Vader's mind. Vader is actively trying to shield this information that he knows from the Emperor for his own reasons. And so by addressing him as Skywalker, the Emperor is not quite saying I know, but he's just basically like messing with him. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I like both um, versions in the old universe, how he finds out it's Skywalker. And then in the new one, how he's kind of like more distraught that his kids are actually alive, even though the the Emperor told him that, you know, the, 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 the children never made it. Right. Or, you know, the, the whatever your wife was pregnant and the, the child never made it. I loved both versions because even in the new comics, he kind of like freaks the F out. Yeah. And like breaks everything around him. Um, speaking of the, the contrast of Vader and the, the old and, and new comics. So in, uh, in this book, when um, like just after the Star Destroyer is blown up, and Vader and his small contingent of stormtroopers are surrounded by all of these angry, like just city people who essentially saw the king die, his like deathbed apology to his daughter saying, this is just because I love you and I was trying to protect you and everyone's surrounding Vader and Vader has his lightsaber drawn and then the princess of the planet is like, what are you going to fight the whole planet? And there's like a beat and then he retracts his lightsaber and just kind of like walks away through the crowd and they let him go. And so earlier this week, I also read Vader down, which was Mm. the more recent Vader crossover with the new comics where uh, Vader goes looking for Luke because he's found out who destroyed the Death Star and they end up um, colliding in a space battle and both ending up downed on this planet where there is a rebel base. So the rebels are like, snap, Vader is down. Let us go and like capture him or kill him or whatever. And like Leia's there and she's like manning this task force. And Vader just proceeds to kill everyone for a while. (laughs) And so... And it's it's done in like really cool, grotesque ways that are very creative. And so in this old version of the comic, when they're like, what, are you going to fight a whole planet? I'm like, uh, he totally could. You're all screwed. <laughs> Why are you not running for your lives? And just yeah. seeing like the change in his reaction in that older version versus the newer version was so interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even if he didn't have the stormtroopers with him, he could have easily just been like, yeah, you're about to die. Yeah, you like he has his force powers. He, like, like so in Invader Down, he uh, he ends up facing off against Luke because he actually shows up at this planet where he has intel where Luke is in the middle of like a rebel fleet of uh, X wings doing like maneuvers, and so he's against like maybe forty ships, and he just starts taking them all down by himself because he's using the force. He's a great pilot. And everyone's like, who is this guy? And someone realizes it's Vader. And then everyone's like, Ugh. like <laughs> he can do that. He can, he can kill everyone if he really wants to. So if he chooses not to, that's like, that's like a big deal. So what did you think of last Jedi? I loved it so much. 
<laughs> I know you had a you uh maybe like last month you had a long tweet storm chain about the you're comparing Luke uh and Anakin together as kind of like a versioning as why Luke was the way he was in the new one, which I know I think we all know is like has upset so many nerds, so many hardcore fans. Oh man, what did I say about that? I remember more about like me saying like Vader was the chosen one. Um that you were you were talking about how like emotional Luke or Luke always followed his emotions even right, right. in like the earlier movies. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So thank you for reminding me. So Anakin and Luke Skywalker are both like totally driven by their emotions. It's just that they let their emotions drive them in different directions. But it's why Luke was kind of close to being tempted over to the dark side, like even though he made the choice ultimately to not do that. Because all of his choices were based on his own like personal desires, like protecting his friends. Like he, uh, like he goes off and does the whole save the princess thing, and that's pretty straightforward in A New Hope. And then in Empire, he abandons his Jedi training because he senses that like Han and Leia are in danger, and he just kind of uh, just goes off even though it's technically the wrong choice to go and try to save them himself, even though he's totally not ready. And he, when he's needed um, for the assault in return of the Jedi on Endor, he just kind of leaves that too, to go and try to talk to Vader by himself. Cause he's like, this is what I feel like doing right now. So when you contrast him with his sister, Leia, who just constantly puts the rebellion first, like before everything else, he's just like, eh, I'm going to go talk to my dad and we'll figure it out and it'll be fine. Or, and then um, when we find out that he basically freaked out after, uh, he was was sensing the darkness in Ben Solo. And then when Ben took the step to be Kylo Ren and just slew everybody, Luke's response was not to work with the rebellion or like try to fix anything. His response was to run away and hide for like 20 years, which is so selfish. But, and like he decided to cut himself off from the force and everything. And it's just, like the the choices that he and his dad made were very different, but their driving forces were the same mm-hmm. in terms of like what motivates them. It's always like really emotional, personal choices instead of um, like overarching ideals or anything like that. Like yeah. the whole reason Anakin got turned to the dark side in the first place is because he was making emotional, personal choices about the people that were really important to him and he was able to be manipulated by that which is why in the jedi code they always they like really de-emphasize emotions in in uh in lieu of instead they want you to be kind of calm and almost dispassionate and that's really difficult for most sentient beings to do which is why so many jedi just end up being kind of awful because you like you can't really truly follow that code and without turning into kind of a dick so and then if you do make more like personal emotional choices then you are like more towards 
the Sith side of things, but you know, I guess the force is a spectrum of like how you want to interact with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah. Luke and Luke and his dad are just way more similar than maybe they want to talk about. When I think of emotional response in star Wars, I also think about half double design, not your granny's crochet. If you're looking for a new scarf, winter hat, blanket, tie, beanies, or just about anything that can be crocheted together in the highest of quality, look no further than Half Double Design. Amanda's waiting to hear from you and you won't regret it. Check out halfdoubledesign.com for more. I thought, yeah, I, I obviously loved it. I mean, the whole stuff with Ben and Ray, you know, that scene with uh, Snoke was like movie magic. I think I remember I was just like started crying immediately during that whole scene. It was like watching fan fiction come to life and I loved it. It, a- it was absolutely true. And then because at that point you think that like, oh my God, maybe maybe Ben is, this is his redemption moment. And then like he's, after that scene ends, you're like, oh God, it's deeper than that. Like yeah. maybe he's not ready yet. Maybe it will never happen. And then like, I just like was hit by like so many emotional like levers at that moment. But like <laughs> even after the movie, I was just so stunned that um, Disney and, and everyone in charge decided like that this bold step was the right one. And I was like, so like stoked that they took that process and was like, yeah, let's do it. Like, let's go crazy in the second movie. Yeah. No, I I was really excited because so the I, I saw Last Jedi twice. Uh, the first time, I was sick, so when I woke up the next morning, I thought the whole thing had been a fever dream. <laughs> but like while I was watching it, my running internal commentary was just like good shit, good shit, like the whole time, just like new Star Wars, yes. <laughs> So I needed to see it again to like really process what was happening and really appreciate it because instead of just being like, oh, yeah, the whole time I was able to be like, all right, all right, keep it together. There's a lot going on here. You need to take it in. Uh-huh. And when it got to that part where Kylo Ren was basically just like, well, burn everything and let's start everything anew. And I was just like, oh, you sweet summer child, you're not starting anything <laughs> anew. You're just in the same system that you just, you can't like just remove the head of a system and expect it to crumble or replace the head of a system. Like you are just the system now. You mm-hmm. are the thing that annoyed you. Like, what do you think is going to happen differently right now? I know, Why I haven't you wanted- learned the lesson of your uncle and your grandfather? Like, dude, get it together. <laughs> I still wanted Ray to join him. I was, I remember even in the audience, people were like telling Ray not to, I'm not sure if that happened to any of your audiences, like when like the dead silence, when he was like extending his hand for Ray. And there was like people in the audience, like literally saying, no, Ray, don't do it. Don't do it, Ray. (laughs) I had really silent crowds, even on opening night, which was really shocking to me. Yeah. Also, I mean, I thought it was a hilarious Star Wars movie too. Like even from like the first scene, it sets the tone of the movie with um, what's his face, the First Order boss, or what you know, Snoke's right hand man. What's that guy's name? What General the, Hux? Ginger? Yeah, Hux. Yeah. Like that phone, that uh, phone hey, call. Jay, bit. Uh, I'll hold for General Hugs. <laughs> <laughs> I'll wait. Yeah, I listened to an interview with uh, Ryan Johnson, and he discussed like 
the script writing process from Force Awakens to when he got it. Hmm. And he started writing the script. Maybe this is old news for people, but he started writing the script when Force Awakens started shooting. And when that was done, he was like watching the dailies as he wrote and stuff. So he handed in his script for Last Jedi, for, you know, to Lawrence Kasdan and uh, was it Kath- Kathleen Kennedy? Yeah. Catherine Kennedy. And they like didn't give him any, like any notes. They like didn't even care that he didn't do anything about Snoke, Snoke's background. They didn't care about what he did with Ray's parents, which I find like even more shocking. And he just went with it. And then he's doing the same thing for the third one. Like he handed everything over to J.J. Um, Abrams and his writing partner. Hmm. And it's just up to them to then do whatever they want. Right. Which like in my head just like blows my mind that there isn't just this kind of like writing council of like 10 people in Star Wars universe where they all approve and say, okay, this is what we're doing. And we all approve. But they're not even doing that. It's like so amazing. It's nice that they have a little bit more creative freedom which is i think why they wanted to chuck everything from the extended universe that had already been created when disney acquired it they just kind of looked at it all and said well well if we stick with all of this then we're just retelling stories that have already been told and we want to tell new stories and not be constrained by what came before which is really bold of them and Mm -hmm. i think the more interesting choice that will provide a lot more entertainment in the long run for everybody did you like Rogue One? I don't remember. I did. Yeah. I I liked it. And I really liked that it's a genre experiment. Because the Star Wars movies, like the, like the trilogy movies, are very... Um, like, it's a fairy tale. It's a fairy tale set in space. It's the the hero's quest, the, the monomyth that crops up in all storytelling eventually. And it's just, you know, even with surprises in The Last Jedi, you're more or less watching the same kind of movie and same structure of movie over and over again, which is why uh, I think people like it so much. It's like it's a storytelling format that has worked with humans for millennia. Like there's a reason it keeps coming back. It's because it's something that people can connect with and really... um, really love and mm-hmm. rogue one was a totally different genre instead of being a fairy tale it was a war movie so totally different expectations totally different type of storytelling like i mean it was essentially saving private ryan in space right as opposed to a fairy tale in space so i really appreciated rogue one because you know the the star wars movies and it says it in the title it's star wars but it's the kind of war that you see in fairy tales where it's really romanticized and in legends where you're not really thinking about the people dying you're thinking about the people who are surviving and the glory or whatever associated with that and like all these ideals they're fighting for but war is gross and nasty and awful things happen to good people for no reason and i think rogue one really was like this is a war and let's talk about that Hmm. and like obviously it's like a star wars movie it's not going to be like so in your face but it was enough where it was just like this is full of tragedy 
for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. And that's not something we should really ignore anymore. And I thought that was really powerful. By the time this episode is out, I think the Han Solo trailer will also be out. But what's your uh, vibe on the Han Solo movie? So I don't far? know. I mean, there's like I, nothing out there. It's just, if they do a different genre, I think it will be interesting just because it's not the genre that we're used to. Um, I think because of the Star Wars prequels and what they were, I'm just wary of prequels in general. But I liked Rogue One, and that was essentially a prequel. So mm-hmm. I am like I I love Star Wars as a concept and as a universe so much that obviously I'm gonna see it. Um, but I have not really like done any research about Solo or anything like that. I'm basically just like, okay, let us see what you do with this, and maybe eventually you'll decide to make movies about any of the female characters as opposed to like saying, okay, solo and then like a Boba Fett thing and like, give me something new, Mm -hmm. you know, since we last talked on a podcast, you became a big time writer on medium, (laughs) big time, famous recapper of the show Riverdale. Look, how how has your life changed since then? (laughs) Well, okay. So the first season of Riverdale like blew my mind. I have so much dumb stupid useless knowledge about the Archie Comics universe because I just retain dumb stupid useless knowledge about comic books and stories that I like in general um so and I I just love how ridiculous and over the top the CW is in general with their style Mm. of showmaking so when it was announced that CW was doing an Archie Comics show I basically started screaming and haven't stopped since like internally <laughs> like yes and was your good was your good shit meter going off again yes. good shit good yeah. shit yeah <laughs> but it's so fascinating to me because i grew up reading archie comics all the time and so for me watching the show is like i'm constantly just cross referencing what happens on the show with what i know of the comics which is a lot and mm-hmm. may probably like 90% of the people that I talk to about the show Riverdale have no idea that it's based on comic books, which mm. is not surprising to me, but also crushes me because it was so ubiquitous <laughs> in my childhood. I'm like, how do you not know this? Mm-hmm. How? Like people will generally get like Betty and Veronica and Archie. But aside from that, people are like, who are all these characters? I'm like, how do you not know about Mantle the Magnificent? Let's talk about <laughs> Reggie. Let's talk about Josie and the Pussycats. Like... And so, for me, um, the show recaps that I blog, I basically write for myself. And, like, okay, if people read them, that's nice. But basically, I got, like, I read a couple recaps after the first episode, and no one was talking about the comic references. Mm. And so for me i just write them so i can be like let's talk about all of the ridiculousness that happened here are the comic references i freaked out about and like it's basically just me writing what i would want to read in terms of what i expect from the audience of the show (laughs) um and it's interesting because the first season, I think, was just so good, like, so dark, so entertaining. The whole thing is this creepy murder mystery that, um, like, ended up working because with 
much like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, if you retain the characters of the Archie characters, you can basically stick them in any kind of scenario and it will work. Mm-hmm. And they've done that in the comics for their entire publication history. They've, they've put Archie and his friends with, with no context or anything like that, because most of these stories are not um, serialized storytelling. It's more like one shots. And they've been in space. They've been in the future. They've been in the past. They've been in fairy tales. And it's just like no explanation. You're just like, all right, we're doing Cinderella now, except Betty is Cinderella. And they're like, okay, we're doing an Archie BC story. And they're riding around on dinosaurs. And it's all good. (laughs) So them doing this different kind of genre was just not really surprising to me. And I think that there were a lot of really excellent comic references throughout the first season. And the second season so far is kind of boring me. because really? I haven't even started it yet. Yeah, the second season so far, they were basically like, oh, you like Gritty, we'll give you Gritty. And they kind of doubled down on that while kind of ignoring the more interesting parts of the characterizations and things that they could be doing. Um, Like they decided to make... I think that the first season worked because they had fewer episodes to work with. And I generally think that the longer American um, television season show formats are just too long and bloated in general. So I think them having the constraint of, I think it was 13 episodes for the first season worked really well because their storytelling had to be tight and they had to focus on characterization. Whereas they have, I think I forget if it's 18 or 20 episodes Mm -hmm. for season two and you can kind of tell they are just drawing things out too long and they're making it about the plot as opposed to the characters and Archie is essentially the opposite character from what he was in the first season and and Jughead is just like totally off the rails so I'm just kind of like what is happening (laughs) and so like the last couple episodes I've just been really bored which is wow. not something that I thought would happen after the magnificence of season one. Yeah, the first season was like shockingly perfect television. Like was I was great. so enthralled with season one, I needed to like gobble up every episode like right away because I know it hit Netflix. That's what, pretty much what I'm doing for season two and waiting for it to hit Netflix like season one did. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I'm not hearing as much about Riverdale season two as I did one. Yeah, like like I said, it's just kind of it's just kind of bloated and dragging and the characters are not consistent with what they were in season one. So I'm just kind of like, like I have a section in my blog recaps where I'm just like, I have questions because every single episode I have so many questions and I feel like I have so many more questions in season two. Cause I'm like, have we forgotten about all of these things here? And yes, they have forgotten about all of these things here. Well, you're now a famous writer. I feel like this is just fodder for your career now on Medium. Thank you. These, these, these. <laughs> <laughs> your deadpan is on point this episode. <laughs> your other podcast uh, that you do, I Read Comic Books, you guys talked about how you can save the comic book industry. Was that a stressful conversation to have? Uh, that was the recent episode that we did because... I just love comic books so much as a medium. It's a medium that I really connected with as a kid and just kind of never looked back. But the way the industry is structured right now really frustrates me because um, I feel like people who 
might love comics if they were exposed to them just aren't being exposed to them because of the direct market model and uh the creators who make the books happen in the first place just aren't getting the the money and the recognition that they deserve as artists and creators mm-hmm. um so that was just kind of an episode that we did to talk about some of those issues and some of the problems of the industry um, because we care and we want to make it better. Uh, (laughs) And I was telling you earlier before we started recording, we also do some like mini episodes where uh, we just talk about like one specific thing. Uh, So me and one of the other guys on the show just talked about star Wars for like an hour and that's getting released soon, but I'm not quite sure when. And it's, (laughs) great we it ended up being like this is too much we could go on for like three more hours we have to stop doesn't sound like a mini sode necessarily as much of a full-length feature uh i texted our producer and i was just like sorry please accept this maxi sode <laughs> <laughs> so on the i read comic books podcast there's like a range of contributors too it's a, it's a different format than what i'm used to doing there's like a group of contributors that kind of rotate in and out so you're not technically doing them weekly you kind of hop on um every couple of weeks or how do you guys usually do that so that you don't kind of get burned out yeah uh mike our producer uh has this system where there's i think there's nine of us regular like regular guests and he like rotates us all so it's generally the format is three people um and we're talking to each other about whatever the topic of the week is and what comics we read that week and what we're excited for the coming week and i like the the format because i'm always talking to different combinations of people in that host group and so it means we get to bounce different opinions off of one another. And I think it it's kind of reflective of the experience of being in a comic book shop every week. And you don't really know who's going to be in there. You don't know what mm. kind of conversations you might end up in. Um, it's interesting. Uh, this I'm actually uh, recording an episode that's going to air um, this week about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which is a to- <laughs> which is a topic that I requested that we do. Uh, the title I chose is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from Satirical Indie One-Shot to Global Sheltastic Empire. Another episode of Link in Bio in the books. Thanks for listening. If you liked it, maybe tweet out a link. Maybe Facebook message someone. Maybe call up your cousin on the telephone and say you liked it and that they should listen. You know? Maybe leave a review in iTunes, or Apple Podcasts, or whatever they call it now. If you didn't like it, well, you can't win them all, right? Goodbye.